John chapter 4, beginning to read at verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I will give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get the water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, 
I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the saviour of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Christine. Doesn't Christine read wonderfully? Yeah, 42 verses flies by. Thank you so much. That's wonderful. Um, well, I want to um, well, to start in the middle, really, as, uh, as Jesus in uh, verses 32 to 34 is just watching the woman charging back to the village. And uh, then there's that curious conversation with the disciples who've come back with his sandwiches or whatever it was they bought at the corner shop in the village and, uh, and are confused by what he's saying. But Jesus has this moment, this joyful moment, I think. There's joy in so much of what he shares um, with them in this, uh, this section of John of saying, you have no idea, almost, is what he's saying. That's, that's not the Greek. But almost when he says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about, you know, he's not being solemn, solemn statue Jesus. He's just, I think, it's this giving expression to this joy that finishing the Father's work, doing what he was given to do, is such a wonderful thing as he watches this woman who has 
grabbed hold. It's there. She's begun this journey to the Lord. She's racing back with this, this amazing declaration ringing in her ears that he is the Messiah. And she's racing back to the village. And he just, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Let me read those verses and then let's pray. 32, sorry, 34. I have food to, to eat that you know nothing about. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Let's just pray. Jesus, I pray for each of us that we would, as never before, find, um, find that joy right there, that joy of being part of the work that you love to do, that you'd renew it in us if that's been what we've chased for years, or if we've thought, goodness me, I'm not sure I make the cut for years, that we would actually discover how willing you are, how much joy it gives you to share this with us, to be about the Father's work, to see you taking hold of a life and a community with such grace. Thank you, Jesus. You prayed and promised to share your joy with us. So may each of us know that joy for your glory and for your sake. Amen. Amen. Do you want it? You want that joy? I think it's, isn't it wonderful? I'm going to pause. I'm using at least two really old for me illustrations. So, you know, you can roll your eyes, but I'm just going to look at my watch and go and stop. (laughs) And hang on a second. There's another one. And I'm just going to keep doing this. There's another one. And I'm just going to keep going one more. There's another one. Now, if you do your, um, your research on the internet, there's another one. You'll find that what I'm counting is new Christians. There's another one. They just keep popping up, don't they? There's another one. It's good, isn't it? The, the, the rate at which the church is... is um, is supposed to be growing, and I believe it is, in, uh, globally. There's another one. There's just so many, aren't there? It seems pretty easy. Just look at your watch every five seconds. Now, you might want to challenge me and go do some better research because I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a vicar. I don't, I don't do research. I'm not doing a doctorate. I'm, it's not my thing. So, but isn't it exciting that people are becoming Christians? Yeah? I mean, even last weekend here, there's a woman called Val and uh, a woman called Emma. Emma we know because she's, she's one of ours. And Val came for a visit with a team from a church that I know, friends of ours in Kent. And um, within 24 hours, Val and, and Emma had led four people to Jesus. That's exciting, isn't it? On the mean streets of Kendall, in the marketplace. And um, isn't that cool? And that's, I mean... That, that's really exciting. The other three were in the foyer here. They came in to use the loo and they left with Jesus. It's good, you know. And I think, um, so I just wanted to, to hopefully help you to feel excited, permission to feel excited about the imminent 
probability that you too might help somebody to discover Jesus, help them to know for themselves. So it was great to hear what you've thought all these years, but now I know last verse of our reading because I've seen for myself that he is Lord. So that's where this is going. I've given you the ending already and we must make space for worship. So I've got about 15 minutes. So, but, so how do we get about this exciting, joy-filled kind of work that Jesus is so intent on sharing with us. You are his bright idea after all. His plan A, his desire was to multiply the ministry of sharing the Father's grace and this encounter and forgiveness and freedom through you and me. This was the bright idea. So how are we going to do that? Well, I think that one of the key things that we're going to have to learn to do is break rules. Is this okay to preach on being a rule breaker? Um, I was, uh, I don't, oh, this is what happened. So my parents came to visit and do a very kind thing, which is look after all the boys and the dog, whilst Shelley and I went away to a conference for a couple of days. What a gift. And um, as almost inevitably happens every time, something will have surfaced in the house that I had yet to remove, even though it seems that years ago I emptied it all out and, you know, my bedroom became rather a nice spare bedroom and all of that. But still, and so this sixth form yearbook, I'd forgotten it existed, arrived at home and the boys were really excited to look at... um, at at least three different hairstyles of mine that were recorded in the yearbook and um, and various other things. But it just put me back to um, to those years and uh, some of the kind of, um, some of the things we got up to. And um, I was remembering that one of our favorite places to go, obviously we were very diligent um, sixth form students, um, but our favorite place to go was actually um, down the hill in, in Worcester to a place which was, I mean, I would be horrified if my children went anywhere near this sort of place but we used to break through the fence of this disused industrial unit and inside because it was undercover was always a good place to skateboard it was brilliant and we were blind to the fact that there were needles and there was broken glass and all the rest of it it was a horrendous place now i look back at it and my parents never knew we were going there and they don't listen to the recordings so fine um but it was but what a place. But for us, you see, it was so worthwhile breaking the fence. My other trespassing story doesn't have such a good kind of... And there was, it was just a senior moment, the other one that I sometimes share, about trying to find my wallet, and it wasn't in the place I had to break into anyway. But this was so worth breaking through the fence into that place. It was this kind of this wonderful space where we could go and play and, um, you know, let off steam. I'm sure it was very healthy. I'm sure it produced good fruit academically as well. Um, But that's what we used to do. And there's something that I think we're seeing Jesus do, never mind me and trespassing and dodgy, disused industrial units. Jesus is really breaking rules as we walk through this, um, this reading. And he's doing it for something far better than a kind of all-weather skateboarding spot um, with a few ramps built in it. It was, he was so intent on pursuing the salvation of this woman, of the least, the last, the, the one, that he was prepared to, to break some serious rules. 
So the first one that I wanted to point us to um, that might be a rule that I I wonder what this would look like. You might need to do your own homework on this because I may may not have been creative enough in preparation to to do that work for us. Um, But there is something here where Jesus' first boundary that he breaks, first rule that he breaks is to connect across cultural kind of no-nos. He breaks at least two taboos here in um, kind of, well, he's kind of stuck in Samaria, not a great place, long memories, hate those Samaritans, you know, and, um, but then he winds up in conversation with a woman, daytime, just him and her at the well. I mean, it's highly compromising situation, so many levels, but just at the level without too much innuendo of just a man talking to a woman, culturally not, not the done thing. But he is happy to break the rule in order to connect with this woman. And isn't there some wonderful banter that goes on between Jesus and the woman at the well? I remember seeing a film, I think it probably had Robert Redford and Brad Pitt in it and various other people. And uh, it was about spies and uh, one of them was being trained, Brad the Younger I suppose. I don't recommend this film by the way, don't look it out. Um, uh, But it was, I remember this one comment where somebody said, oh, best way to kind of forge a connection with someone um, is to ask them for something. And then you put yourself in a position of vulnerability and they are answering that and you've, you've made a connection. Much easier than the other. Anyway, Jesus is so good. He's like a fully CIA-trained spy here, isn't he? Goes to the woman and says, I'm thirsty. Can I have some water? Can I have a drink of water? Actually, isn't it lovely that Jesus really was tired? You know? It's good. But he asks her for a drink, and then the banter starts. And, um, and in all this, he is so ready to, to, to cut the boundaries, to, to break in, to break through for the joy of connecting with her and drawing her close to the Father, close to this wonderful revelation that she is known and accepted, called to a knowledge of God that she might never have dreamt of, but had a theology for the Messiah and a theory perhaps of one day things will all become clear. But this experience for her of connecting with God through his Son, what an amazing thing. So what sort of boundaries might exist that are similar for us? What are the taboos? Who are the people you shouldn't talk to? I mean, it may not be as as kind of horrifying as this. You know, the the textbook thing for somebody like me, your 43-year-old vicar, is that I'm probably most effective talking to people 10 years either side of my age which might mean that I'd be useless at talking to anybody over 55 and below 35. And, well, that's not a very well-chosen vicar, is it, for some of our demographics? Oh, dear. Maybe I just need to defy that and decide that actually Jesus can use me with over 55s and under 35s. Hallelujah. What do you think? So it's not quite a shocking cultural breach as this one here, but it may just be one of those things we think, nah. No, I think we'll just walk across that one. It's interesting, isn't it? I wonder if there are other boundaries that exist. You know the bad blood stuff? 
They kind of, oh, can't go there. I don't know. I mean, most families are perfect, aren't they? But maybe there are some families where the bad blood's just been rolling, you know, it's been going on for ages. Generations of Samaritans and Jews have not been talking to each other and liking each other because of what people did. Just go and do the research over several cups of tea if you want to and find out why Samaritans were hated. Um, But sometimes it's just time to get over the bad blood and just walk towards someone, isn't it? Maybe that's going to be a good evangelistic strategy. I don't know. I hope I'm not being pastorally insensitive. But perhaps pastoral sensitivity has sometimes had its place. And it's just time to go and connect with somebody. Um, I'm just trying to think of some more examples. Do you know, I think better than an example might be the blueprint that Jesus said. He doesn't say an awful lot about the church, if we're honest. Um, he says an awful lot for the church. We should listen to every word. But the one key description that I will go to again and again is in Matthew 16 where he says, I will build my church. There's a clear sense of him being about this business. And then says that the gates of hell will not stand or prevail against it. That's interesting, isn't it? The gates there are a a boundary. It's not a heavy set of gates on the church to keep us safe. Um, Go and read it again if if that's the picture. It's not that. They're the gates of of Hades. It's it's like a a big boundary gate. And and what does Jesus say? He says, those gates won't hold. The picture is not of the church as a big building with strong gates on it. The church is a movement of people, if you like, charging some gates that can't hold them out. If I could paraphrase, it's sort of saying, why don't you go and plunder the darkest places you can find for the kingdom of God? Because those are the people that I'm going to marshal and send to the ends of the earth. Does that sound more exciting than, than communion once on a Sunday? Because that's the church that Jesus says he's building. The gates of hell will not stand against it. Now, yes, that's a place of pagan worship. Yes, there's, a kind of, there's all sorts of generalities. But I just like that image of these gates that aren't strong enough if he sends people to breach them. Go and take what is mine, says Jesus. Go get them. And so it seems to me that no barriers, no boundaries perhaps will be fit for purpose if we decide that we are called and sent by Jesus to go and share his love and share his grace and bring him the encounter that people, every one of us needs. So there we go. Second thing, I've got four, so I'm going to start moving faster. The second thing that I wonder if it might just be breaking the rules. These might be some inner rules or the rules of kind of, I don't know how to put this, um, kind of humility, but not really humility, not the real thing. Um, the sort of posture of, of not presuming because not wanting to be too arrogant with the faith that we've got. But, um, well, let's just contrast any of those kind of, kind of fears and doubts with Jesus in this scene at the well. Jesus seems to be incredibly confident not arrogant, bolshy, personality confident, but really confident that he has something that will be really good news for this woman. 
He tells her, I've got water that if you drink it, you'll never thirst again. Bold claims at a well. But you know what I mean? He is so convinced that he's got something that is worth her while. And maybe anything that we might sort of feel, oh, well, it, I don't want to offend somebody, you know, with this embarrassingly absolute truth claim that Jesus is Lord. But actually, the reality that Jesus demonstrates here, without a shot of arrogance about it, is just that he has got the best thing she could possibly come across in her whole life. It's, isn't it beautiful? That he actually goes there. It would have been so easy to think, well, this is slightly awkward. The, um, the boys have gone into town to get some sandwiches. A little bit compromising. Um, probably shouldn't talk to her. Um, can see that she probably does need the love of God. It's sort of, well, I'm getting a sense from Father that she's had five husbands. Um, you know, these, but he actually goes there. How many times have I not gone there? It's probably not worth counting, actually. It won't be an encouraging stat. But Jesus is confident that he has something that's really worth having. I've got just what you need. And dare I say it, you've got just what someone needs this week. In the midst of this slightly fear-filled moment at work, at home, down your street, over the phone to family members you have got something that people need they really do and it's not arrogance and it's scary yes but Jesus was having a great time by the end of this so maybe we should try it out what do you think so that's the other thing there's a second rule to break the kind of inner rule of polite uh, non-arrogance um, I, I wouldn't dream of forcing this on you it doesn't force anything kind of forces himself into her life, I suppose. Can I have a drink of water? But actually, it ends well. And what was the worst thing that could happen? She told him where to go and walk back to the village? I don't know. It wasn't a sort of life-threatening moment for Jesus, this one either, was it? This, and anyway, um, so... Third one I've kind of covered, actually, with my kind of five second rule not the food one but the new christian one isn't it interesting that jesus says you know um i just like this i think he's so i think he's having so much fun he says you know how things work in seasons you know what i mean um that there is sort of you wait and then the harvest comes and uh yeah and it was yeah 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 it takes a while doesn't it yeah it rolls around beautifully springs come it's good and then he says and then i just love how he changes gear and so it says the harvest is now it's all around you or maybe he's just sort of saying hang on did you not notice that the season had changed so maybe he skipped the season i don't know you decide for yourself but here's the point and again it may just be that it means we've got to shift and break a rule that may have been established in our heads the rule up here might be something like it's really hard in the UK to share faith. I bet it's easier in South Korea or Argentina or, you know, in an orphanage in Malawi. But here's hard. 
And I just think, well, let's, let's just allow Jesus to take issue with that, with some of this rhetoric at the well, where he says, do you know what? The harvest is... I better read his words and stop paraphrasing. I say... Ooh, listen to this. I'd never put it like this. I wouldn't treat you like this. I say, wake up. <laughs> wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. And before we think, well, of course they are. Everywhere Jesus walks, there's a harvest field waiting to be picked. He's Jesus. But it's an odd thing to say. You know, the gospel hasn't leapt to the Gentiles yet. The cross has not happened. The kingdom, you know, he's still heard to say, well, I've come to the children of Israel. And, you know, it's almost as though we're still holding, holding fast, hold fast, hold fast. The time will come. Boom. Then he sends them to the ends of the earth. Seems like he's declaring the harvest is ripe quite a long way short of Matthew 28 and sending you and me to the ends of the earth. But he says, wake up, look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. I think that might be another rule we might need to to break, the waiting for a more opportune time. I suppose I would want to acknowledge that not everybody wants to hear about Jesus right now. And there's a lot of process involved. I got softened up by a few different people. One of them was in my sixth form yearbook. He was there standing next to me in my form, this covert Christian called Richard. He was brilliant. He just slowly, slowly evangelized me. Brought in his big sister as well. That worked. And um, so there is process as well. But I was really comforted and encouraged by the words of a, the, a missionary evangelist where I was a curate in the Diocese of Manchester. He just said, everywhere I go, not just because it makes me feel like my job's worth doing and I ought to be there, but everywhere I go, there are going to be a, there are two, three, a handful of people who are hungry to meet the Lord. He said, I don't often get 200 converts at a meeting. Read, never. I don't think that had been his experience. But I know I'm speaking to people who are hungry. Someone here is going to meet Jesus. It's a good mindset, isn't it? And I think that's the thing I'm wanting us to do, is just is break any rules we've got that say, no, no, not yet, not me, not here. We really need to get rid of that. We really do. And then the final rule which I love watching Jesus break, is the, um, is the making converts and evangelism over here. And then there's the um, discipleship kind of maturing over here. Don't you love watching Jesus bring someone kind of two-thirds of the way into their encounter with him and then release her as an evangelist to go and take on the whole village Isn't it brilliant? I guess what I'm wanting to point to and be excited about is how ready Jesus is to invest in and to trust and to delight in the potential of this woman at the well. Um, You know, she's heard him say, but I didn't notice her that he's the Messiah, but I didn't notice her praying the prayer. Did you notice that? It doesn't seem she's received why Jesus or signed up to Alpha or anything. But he just lets her loose. And I think that's the deepest joy as he watches her in a cloud of dust running over the fields is that he can see that that village is about to be ruined because this woman has met him. Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. I don't care what you lot think. Isn't it brilliant? 
that he's got such a, he's so, so doesn't it change evangelism as well when you're just thinking, well, I don't know, she might not want to know about the kingdom of God. She might be really angry with me as a Jewish person. I bet there's a lot of offense, actually. Better go carefully. Instead of, he just looks at her and thinks, there's so much potential. That village will never be the same again. And do you know what I mean? The, The view he has of her as a kingdom kind of... Um, woman and daughter and a resource for God's kingdom, it outstrips probably a lot of our expectation. But what a great lens to look at people through. Not just wouldn't it be nice if they, if they believed in Jesus. I'm sure it would help them. Sorry, that's a bit of, you know, naughtiness as we, we don't judge people. Um, but the thing about seeing people as, as God... In, as, in terms of a partnership with God, not as lost waiting to be found, but as partners of, of the Lord waiting to be activated in this glorious freedom, we still want to be found, saved, forgiven. I'm not saying we're not doing that, but it's just there's more. We're, we're looking and we're talking about more. It's not a stat or just someone, to, to, someone else to get on the electoral roll before the APCM or someone to join Alpha. It's someone whose whole life is going to change the world, starting with a village in Samaria. Isn't it great? So again, maybe there's a rule we've got to break there about how we're sorting people and just allow God to begin to show us people's potential. We no longer look at anyone from a human point of view. As a tub we like to thump. That's really important, 2 Corinthians 5. So, those are the four rules that are worth breaking. And there is a conclusion here somewhere, I'm sure. I think the conclusion really is verse 42. It's where we left the reading, actually. When they say to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves, Jesus has spent time with them. Now we know that he is indeed the saviour of the world. I just think that verse there, it says so much about the potential in this room to draw people into encounter with Jesus himself. It's you. I think that's a mirror to you. These things are written that you may believe, and believing have life in Christ. And I, that says it all. So I hope that you will walk out of here feeling like there's, there's stuff to do. There are people to love. That you have got something that people need, that no one is out of bounds, that it's not hard ground if it's ground that you and Jesus are walking on, and that the people you're looking at are amazing in view of the kingdom of God. If we can just realize that potential as they connect with Jesus for themselves. What's well, very, it's compelling, isn't it? So this is the Jesus School of Evangelism. We should all sign up. Do you think? It's good. Let me pray for us and then we can worship some more. Is that going to work? Are you guys okay to lead us? I think, um, actually, if you want to come up and just, um, would you like to stand? 
And um, we prayed for that joy that Jesus was experiencing as a moment of joy that wasn't about the sandwiches and it wasn't about the disciples bringing lunch. It was all about this break, this breaking in of the kingdom and this beautiful encounter. And so I want to pray for you and for me that we would find ourselves caught up, set up with these kinds of encounters of colleagues and friends and neighbors strangers who won't be strangers for long. Lord, you'd stir up our hearts and our expectation and our willingness for those opportunities. And I pray again that you'd give us the joy, the joy of trying it out seeing where it goes, of sharing who you are, of loving you like this and loving people like this. But Holy Spirit, there is so much. You see so much great raw material here in us. So we just say, yes, have your way. Okay, (laughs) we'll give up and we'll let you. In Jesus' name, amen.